It is a beautiful Monday morning. That's not a good start, is it, George? No, no. Let's say it like this. Try and apply that theory to any other industry in the world. It's a scam. I was betting like 70, 80k. This is the Trademate Sports Betting Podcast, helping you beat the bookmakers. Hey guys, Alex here. Welcome to episode 173 of the Trademate Sports Betting Podcast. Today I'm joined by Pro Sports Better. My old mate, Neil Shah. How are you, mate? Yeah, really good, mate. Yeah, just uh, busy, busy, cracking away. How about yourself, man? No, very good, mate. It's good to have you back on. We've uh, This podcast we are doing today is one that we have, I think we've even started recording at least once. We've scheduled it in maybe five times before that. So this is uh, this is one months in the waiting. It's I, I would assume we were ready to do this about six months ago, but... Yeah, it's been so long. We just had to try and remember what I'd actually read. But um, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll see. Or will it be worth the hype? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, it'll probably. I mean, yeah, we probably got all the signs in the world to just not do it, and now we're just going to make fools out of ourselves and go against what should have been done and just given up. But uh, hopefully, there'll be something valuable in here for the listeners today, mate. We are gonna, I guess. I don't really think we're going to do a book review, but it's all kind of based on a book that we've both read recently, Super Forecasting, The Art and Science of Prediction by Dan Gardner and Philip Tetlock. Uh, I think this uh, came out maybe 2016 or something, so we're a bit late to the party, but uh, never mind. It's uh, probably at least the best book I've ever read in terms of uh, improving my sports betting or handicapping and i think there's just multiple topics in here i I, smartest thing i did was i never really do this when i'm reading books but just taking notes as i went along uh you know making marks of some quotes and stuff that i found really intriguing and um yeah i was able to i guess go back and read it once again and, and it really helped me with my handicapping over the last six months or however long it's been since I finished the book. Um, and yeah, I think I just think there's lots of topics for us to discuss here, mate. Um, so yeah, not really a book review, but more so just like discussing and how how something like this can uh, can relate to sports betting. Brief, I guess, brief introduction to the book. It's all kind of about a project that they did, these guys called the Good Judgment Project. Essentially, what they did was they got thousands of forecasters around the world, people that just, you know, forecast global events every day, um, no matter what their experience levels were, no matter how famous they were. Um, and then over a period of years, these guys forecasted every day multiple events, which equaled to, you know, thousands and thousands of events uh, over the course of a couple of years. Um, and they, yeah, they made their predictions percentage wise on, on what sort of outcomes certain global events were going to, you know, were going to happen. Um, and yeah, I guess it was just a massive study and they highlighted in their book, the results of the studies, you know, what forecasters were successful, which were not, why, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, although it has nothing to do with sports betting, forecasting global events, uh, I think there were some really valuable lessons for sports bets and how much it relates to, you know, us forecasting 
sports games, uh, odds, all that kind of stuff. So um, let's get started, mate. I think one of the best or one of the first things they, they talk about was um, like, I guess, pundits, or what we would call sports betting pundits, uh, what they would call, I guess, whatever pundits or forecasters that are on TV, the most popular ones. So I'm not sure who the most popular forecaster in the world is in terms of, you know, getting getting time on television. But I guess you could say like a Gary Neville of the of the EPL, Jamie Carragher, these kind of guys. Um, and how I, I guess I guess the, the most interesting thing they found from the study was the more famous an expert was in their study, the more the more famous the forecaster was the less accurate he or she was in their predictions over the course of a few years, which is just fascinating and and kind of shows people that, um, I think it just shows that like, if the more famous you are, the less, I don't know, the probably less work you're going to do, maybe the less um, research you're going to do on a certain topic. Because if you're famous, you think your opinion is probably you know, it's undefeated. It's the best in the business. Uh, and I think you do see that a lot with the likes of Gary Neville. A lot of the time I listen to him and I'm quite bewildered by some of the stuff he's saying, um, especially when it comes to Arsenal. But what did, what did you kind of think of, yeah, that, that side of things and how it's kind of interesting that the more, I think it's just fascinating, the more famous you are the less likely, you know, the, the less accurate you were in your predictions. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, I, I, maybe a bit harsh on, on, on Gary Neville in particular. I think actually his improvement over what was before, um, which very much kind of relates to what you're saying. So like, um, you know, it was, uh, let's say on Sky Sports in the UK, they used to be sort of Andy Gray and uh, uh, Richard Keyes, you know, some people might remember. Who, funnily enough, sort of are in Doha now. They lived like, you know, around the corner from me. Um, but the kind of the level of analysis and details sort of now, I think, has has raised. But still, um, you do have a lot of you know, pundits on, on TV and they're kind of slowly being phased out because I think, the, you know, the de- audience is kind of demanding a bit more the kind of analytics are more in the game. But so traditionally, yeah, absolutely what you're saying. So someone like, for example, Mark Lawrence used to be you know, a great player um, for, for Liverpool, you know, multiple that sort of uh, European Cup winner. Um, sort of a fixture on, on on the BBC for a long time. And I think he's kind of been phased out now. But um, there was a kind of legendary prediction game where, you know, again, every week he would sort of predict the results for everyone. And I think someone went back and looked at, I think he predicted Liverpool to win like 90% or something ridiculous, like, you know, 80 or 90% of every, you know, every single game they played. Um, Sounds like Marius. He, <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, if you basically sort of laid his selections, you know, like the the whole time, you'd be a sort of millionaire by now. But it is indicative of, again, the kind of the more, I suppose, someone's perceived as an expert for, particularly let's say in sports. So an expert in playing the game doesn't necessarily make you an no. expert in kind of reading where a betting line should be. There's you know, there's far more to it. So again predicting one team is going to win over the other like we've discussed many times like it's not about necessarily sort of predicting x over y it's about 
the price for X should be this and the price for Y should be this and getting value um, each time. So I think that's that's absolutely a point. But you see it across so many domains where, um, yeah, it, you, I, I think there is an element of complacency. If you've been doing something for a long time, um, your thoughts are kind of rigid. Um, so that's something we kind of come on to later. I think one of the points in the notes we've made about open-mindedness um you, you you tend to get complacent you tend to have these kind of established um tropes and ideas and go, like, uh, going back to the world cup this happened with the usa just to give another example is that you know a lot of people were surprised that they held england to a draw that they they played well and they got out of their group i think there were a lot of kind of biases especially in the english media about um the us you know again kind of not of being a great team, Paul talked about it. I think you know on on the, on the podcast was kind of quite um, enjoyed, kind of <laughs> rubbing all the, all the sort of English media spaces in it because um, it was again sort of lazy uh, research. Because in a lot, you know, a lot of the time on TV, it's kind of the, the way it's consumed. People aren't looking for that kind of higher level of information, um, and you can kind of get away with it. But the book. Um, there's lots of examples, especially from like military intelligence. Um, so, um, you know, different examples. Uh, there was an example from sort of Zero Dark Thirty as well about the, uh, trying to find Bin Laden, about sort of predicting um, how that might happen. Uh, you know, the likelihood of finding him based on the information they have. And um, mm. again, no sports is not necessarily a matter of life and death, but with something like military intelligence, you know, it, it, you know, it's extremely important to get some degree of accuracy. So, um, that I think that's you know where the, the book illustrates why it's important to to really consider that where how you're getting this information how you're using this information um and and how to kind of improve that accuracy so um yeah no absolutely it's definitely sort of in the domain of sports pundits even meteorology you know which the book talks about you know again sort of predicting the weather there was a famous uh, incident in the 1980s in, in the UK, uh, someone called Michael Fish, who was, a, um, again, a weatherman, and, you know, basically said, you know, be kind of calm, might be some kind of light winds today, um, you know, no problem. And it was like one of the worst storms in, like, in British history that day. It's kind of gone down infamously. Not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily him, but the data that was provided to him, you know, was in, inaccurate. Um, again, that was his prediction, which was kind of famously wrong. Um, so there are lots of domains where, where where that absolutely is the case. Yeah, and if you ask yourself the question, like why is uh, why is a pundit, let's just say, why are they why are they the one that's why are they famous? Why are they the one that gets the big job on Sky Sports? And it's it's not really because of their ability to predict or bet on a on a on a on a game it's really because they're engaging and they're they're interesting to listen to i mean i don't really respect much of anything that gary neville says on arsenal because i know there are much more better people to listen to but i still listen to him because it's he's entertaining like he he's he's a very 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 good talker he puts his words together brilliantly and he's he's engaging he's controversial and and if you're a producer you're not putting on you're not going to hire you know the best let's just say best ever footballer ever Lionel Messi you're not going to put Lionel Messi on the broadcast because 
I mean, obviously he's not, you know, he's not going to speak the greatest English, but let's just say he spoke fluent English. Let's just say Cristiano Ronaldo. You're going to listen. You're going to listen more to to someone who's engaging. Ronaldo might not be that engaging. At least, you know, he's got a, probably a better football mind overall because he's a, you know, one of the greatest ever. But it's all about. It's kind of all about just engaging an audience and and being interesting. And you'll never ever hear a pundit say something like. Manchester United are a 68% chance of winning this game. Like that is just nothing you would ever, ever hear. But these are kind of the percentages, odds that that sports bettors need to be working with because the edges in the Premier League are, are minuscule. We're talking about, you know, three if you have an edge, probably like two, three percent, something like that on a on a one X two, on a one X two market. So uh, if you're not dealing with percentages like that, then you're probably not going to be profitable in the long term. So, yeah, I think just keep in mind for everyone that like sports pundits are not sports betters. They are, they are, they are. When they say I think they're going to win the game, then they're basically saying I think Arsenal are a 51% chance or more of of winning this game, and that that. Uh, that means like zero to a sports better. You know, there's a massive difference between 51% and 54%. And, and you know, you're not going to get that from a broadcast. I still think it's, I don't know what you think, I still think it's valuable to listen to pundits, especially if um, if they're like entrenched in a team or, you know, they watch all their games, all that kind of stuff. The reason I don't really like listen much to Gary because I just feel like he doesn't watch watch all of the Arsenal games. So I'm not going to respect his opinion. I, I mean, his famous one was like um, when Arsenal were recruiting at the start of last season, he said something like, I don't understand what their recruitment strategy is. When we'd recruited like five players under the age of 24 for minimal you know a min a minimal price like you could tell we were rebuilding so it was just so clear exactly what arsenal were doing but he's like i don't understand what they're trying to do it's like it's pretty fucking obvious what they're trying to do just like it's well, obvious be, yeah i mean to, to be fair um if, if we go back because we kind of discussed this before we started like you know most i would say most arsenal fans to be in the position they're in now, like um, at the start of the season, would have been quite. Oh, happy. No, I agree with that. Anyone would have necessarily predicted it. So, let for example, let's say it's kind of what Gary Neville was saying. It probably wasn't necessarily just him. I think maybe there would have been a lot of other pundits. Some would have been positive on Arsenal, but maybe the prevailing thing. No, no, no. Would have... Yeah, so, I'm so... also meant like it's. I don't care whether he says uh he thinks the recruitment strategy is good or bad or whether the players are good or bad i meant just the actual strategy was pretty obvious like they were just recruiting younger players who they saw potentially one day they could you know be a 50 100 million dollar player but now they're getting them cheaper and you know hope hopefully that this will start the rebuild kind of thing it was it wasn't he never said anything about like you know whether whether the Tomiyasu was going to be a good player or um, Ramsdale was going to be. I mean, I would have told you Ramsdale was overpriced at the time, but like it was more so the fact that he couldn't understand what Arsenal were doing. I was like, mate, it's, it is so clear what, what they're trying to do here. Yeah, so, but let's say, so they are in second place, but let's say, for example, they, I don't know, they were hovering fifth or sixth right now. Then yeah. looking back at what he said, 
you, you can kind of retrofit it to say, okay, well, yeah, this kind of fit what he was saying here. Um, but uh, again, based on previous evidence, right? And this kind of goes back to the book in terms of like, um, I think one of the points he was, you know, we were saying again about open-mindedness and being open to changing your opinion on certain things. So what so what would happen is people have a sort of prevailing idea of a team and let's say, listen, I'm a Spurs fan, so we have this tag of being Spursy all the time. <laughs> going back to this Arsenal tag, you know, recent times at least, you know, sort of the latter period of like Wenger's reign onwards, you know, Arsenal have had a reputation of kind of um, bottling it, you know, maybe not having like enough mentally tough players. And this is kind of stuck. This label kind of sticks with teams um, until you're kind of proven otherwise. Um, and even with teams where it goes the other way, someone like Chelsea, you know, kind of maybe have got this reputation through the years of just kind of grinding their way to titles, to victories, to cups, you know, doesn't matter who's in charge. And they're at an interesting turning point right now. But because we have this kind of bias about certain teams, um, that that can kind of filter through in our thinking about, okay, well, this is what they've always been, but what kind of team are they now? And so sometimes the prices and the betting markets won't reflect, you know, like the current level of that team, um, you know, and, and what they're capable of doing. So, you know, I'll throw in maybe a tip. Let's see if it comes true this week. But Napoli and Frankfurt are playing this week. You know, Napoli are flying high in Syria. Uh, Eintracht, you know, they're, they're having a, a good season. Um, but I think Napoli are still value, like they're above even something like 2.2, I think, at the time of this going out and recording, um, to win in Frankfurt. And I think Frankfurt, again, there's a bias because they're the Europa League champions, um, you know, and, and then the market's kind of putting that in. The the commentary is going to be about that, you know, about you know, making sure that they're not underestimated. And these kind of things kind of creep in all, all the time, this kind of sort of previous information but the the real question something from the book you know that to consider and how to kind of improve your thinking about analyzing markets is when there is new information kind of how to how to factor that in and how much of that information is useful how much of it is irrelevant um and again how much weighting should you put depending on what the source of that information is on on your decisions because I think a lot of people find it um, it difficult to, or they, they see it as a negative, as, as a kind of a weakness to change your mind on certain things. And I think the most important thing, anyone listening to this with their um, sports betting is, you know, to, to actually be open to changing your mind, revising your opinion. Yeah. Something you can't be fixed, um, you know, in the same way. Obviously don't kind of, there's a balance. You can't be kind of flip-flopping and constantly changing your mind, but you sh you do need to sort of factor in if something's happened. Again, you know, if you think a team's going to win, but then all of a sudden their star player gets injured a day before, you know, you're quick to that news. You need to factor that in. You know, if there's a, a change in, in lineups, if you see a press conference from a manager hinting at a different formation or tactic or something, you know, all, all these things you, you do need to be aware of. You can't be kind of fixed in your opinion from... You know, the very beginning of your process to the end if things have changed in between um so i think that's also quite an important point from the book yeah uh yeah i reckon there's almost an edge in like you know just always going against the narrative of what's being you know put out in the media at the time like imagine if on the weekend you you know 
like I guess most people would have had you believe that Man City were going to absolutely smash Nottingham Forest. They're on this like amazing run, you know, whatever. But if you actually go back and look at Man City's results, like before that Arsenal game, they're not really like, they're not setting the world alight at that time. They go and, you know, beat Arsenal fair and square. I think they ended up maybe beating Arsenal by... 0.5 xg or something like that so i mean they 100 percent deserve to win the game but it wasn't like they completely went to arsenal and, and battered them uh and then you know and then this narrative you know starts to create and all of a sudden now people are saying like us i think 538 of arsenal is the predicted or is the favorites to win the premier league this season now so it's just like it's amazing how like if you you know You've just got to always stay open-minded with all this kind of stuff. And that's kind of um, the next topic we were going to talk about, which is, um, well, let's just skip to to the third one, embedding embedding open-mindedness. And I think um, this is kind of a really hard thing to do. And I think it'll take take a lot of time for for sports bettors to do this because you kind of just need to create a, a habit around around being open-minded and and whatever your process is with handicapping whatever whatever you whatever you're doing in sports betting you kind of need to practice at this and, and create a habit of, of being open-minded because you can let's just say you have 6 months to a year of successful betting on a certain market sport you can you can get lazy like kind of an example with with uh, punditry or whatever you can get lazy and think that you're on such a roll that, um, and you kind of, I guess, forget what gets you to the place you're in. I mean, it's like a classic uh, thing that happens with like MMA fighters is it's a lot harder to keep the title rather than mm. actually getting there because once you get there, you become more famous, you make more money, you've achieved your lifelong goal and you slack off and that's when the contender comes and, and takes your title from you kind of thing so it's it, i guess it's a similar kind of thing here and, I, and one of the things that I, I i this is just so fascinating to me that for all of their uh predictions or um a, i guess any like prediction that these these um guys made in the project uh, they wrote their reasoning for for whatever their percentages of of this event to happen and they found that there was a correlation between the wording that these forecasters used with yeah. making their predictions. I think this is the most fascinating thing from the book. It's just incredible that they found out that forecasters who use terms in their reasoning, like furthermore or moreover, so like kind of um, trying to really prove their point as to why this is the correct percentage as to why they're right, um, they were less successful or they performed worse than random guesses. So, like, if you just had a random guy who was just like, yep, yeah, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, no research at all, they performed worse than someone who could have random guessed these events. But on the other hand, you had a group of forecasters who performed better than these, you know, or best in this whole project were people that used uh, words like although, however. So, like, almost like, forcing themselves in their prediction writing or reasoning to write words of both sides of the argument whereas the guys who or girls that 
that didn't do as well, who performed worse than random guesses, were ones that were like, this is why I'm right. Furthermore, moreover, this kind of language. So a great example here, if you are, you know, looking at Arsenal versus Leicester City this weekend and you're trying to find an edge and you're writing down your thoughts on the game, try and just like force yourself to, to I guess, embedding this open-mindedness to, to use different terminology. It's amazing how like a different use of words to start a sentence can like affect someone's ability to predict a, an event. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. I think it's um, it's something I use in my own process, and I, I need to do more of it. But um, but let's say you know when I'm researching a prop bet, I I, I always start with um, okay. At first glance, I like this bet. I like this um, this line. It looks like value, but what are the things that could potentially lose this bet? What are the kind of factors in the game state? Let's say I have a bet on the players' passes, so I'll immediately look at okay what are the things that could go wrong what am i missing here because again when you're looking for value sometimes the value looks so good that you that you might be missing something altogether that the bookies might know so um kind of breaking down that process and thinking of all the ways that you could be wrong although it's kind of a strange way to do it and it could put you off a lot of bets but once you kind of get into that process it, it, it's fine you know because at the end of the day you're gambling you're you're you're, you're not i mean you know unless you're going for 1.01 shots um you know there's always going to be an element of risk that that it's not going to happen but what you want to do is and what's helpful for me is kind of making that list of the pros and the cons and thinking okay you know, here, here are the reasons why it might happen. And here is a reason why it's more likely to happen than the market is thinking. What are the things that they're ignoring? And then here are the things where actually maybe the market's thinking this might happen. Could it happen? How likely is it? Um, and then you'd kind of, you know, you can go off into a deep dive and uh, and really kind of drill, drill down into detail. Um, and it is a really interesting point. Again, it's kind of like, because the more kind of sure and confident you feel you feel and you haven't factored those things in it's, it's kind of easy to go down that route you know lots of tipsters it's very rare that i would see a tipster post i mean they'll post you know there's lots of tipsters who post up very well written analyses um you know detailed reasoning for their bets but it's very rare that i, I see a tipster actually say however you know xyz might happen this is why the bet's four to one for example you know that, that, that yeah. because this might happen so it's actually quite unusual so if you do actually come across tipsters who put the potential um question marks over their own bets it's actually i would say kind of a, a sign that there is some kind of sophisticated thinking going on there not necessarily that people who don't don't think about that but it's interesting if you do come yeah. across write-ups that have that um it shows the kind of level you know of, of thinking behind um, you know what they're trying to do um yeah i think it's 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 a really really important uh, way to try and analyze how you're going to go about trying to beat the market yeah and i guess on on uh, <laughs> the follow on i guess the next topic is like trying to prove yourself wrong so yeah exactly what you just said there and i like what they said about like how um scientists are kind of like they always have to answer the question to like they always have to prove against their hypothesis essentially and that's what you should be doing as a sports better just always trying to convince yourself that you're wrong because like you know 
I think my biggest, uh, probably the biggest reason I've lost money from sports betting over over the last couple of years is probably not that I'm saying I've lost overall. I just mean times that I've lost my bets is that uh, I've my my like when you're so far away, like let's just say an English Premier League game because it's like basically the one of the most efficient betting markets in the world. If I think Arsenal should be 1.8 and they're 2.1 like I am I am missing something there is something I have not factored into my 1.8 there's a reason they're at 2.1 like you just would never it, it my edge would probably be more respectable if I thought Arsenal should be like 1.9 uh, 1.8 sorry and the odds were at 1.95 then I'm probably factoring in most things yeah still a pretty big edge but at least my numbers are a lot closer so um I, nowadays if i'm like really far away from what i think the odds should be on like a ufc fight is uh i just stay away because i'm just like i'm clearly missing something here that everyone else is seeing that i'm not or i work to try and prove myself wrong i go and you know I try and listen to others and and what their thought, thoughts are on a fight. I talk to you know talk to people that I respect in the industry too. So yeah, I don't know. Do you have any other ways that you try and I guess yeah prove yourself prove yourself wrong, uh, or at least you know have times where your your odds are so far away from what the market is. Yeah, absolutely. It happens, you know, it happens a fair bit, uh, especially on, on, on the props. And I think, okay, something's, something's up here. And uh, yeah, often sort of discuss things with, uh, um, you know, with, with, with Paul, Darnell, a few others. Uh, um, again, like, for example, you know, about I'm kind of considering on the Madrid-Liverpool game, um, you know, passes bet as an example. And I think in this particular player, like, the line is too high. You know, it's definitely an unders play. Um, and I looked at the data, I looked at the averages, kind of compared, you know, let's say home and away, how Liverpool kind of uh, shape up against Madrid, how, how many sort of passes the central midfielders generally tend to get. Uh, looked at this particular player, thought, okay, maybe he's a potential sub risk as well. Everything looked really strong, and then kind of, you know, kind of threw it into our little group to say, that, you know, what do you guys, what do you guys think about it? And then I'd completely neglected the fact that there's a couple of players out injured for Madrid, which might mean that this player moves um, into a slightly deeper role, um, which is going to increase their passes. So this is like one one concrete example. But that, again, that's kind of like a simple factor in the reasoning that I hadn't actually, um, I suppose, computed into the line. But I'd imagine that is, you know, that's why it was priced the way it is. So I'm kind of still hesitant, still thinking about it. I still think there's potential value there, but far less yeah and on sort of first glance i think that's where you kind of have to think what am i missing here what what is the market telling me um and especially if you see kind of lines go against you so a good thing is sometimes you don't have to necessarily pull the trigger on these these kind of bets if you see something and it seems too good to be true again maybe you know one way of doing it is putting a, a small stake so you have some interest and you can kind of test it so you don't feel like you're going to kick yourself if it does actually win. Um, well, you will. You will think you'll understate anyway. But we're um, just kind of monitoring these kind of things and just kind of keeping a note of, you know, okay, well, what's the price when I saw it? 
if you can try and spot the price, you know, closing as well to see has it moved in the direction you wanted it to. So do other people think, you know, are they, are they kind of following what what you know what your reasoning is too? Um, yeah, there's 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 lots of ways to, um, to to kind of go through that that process definitely. Yeah, a good example was uh, uh, maybe this is more. Um, important in individual sports so like tennis mma these kind of things was uh, is the is the effect of like uh i guess how much one variable can really swing things so let's just say you know man united versus arsenal this weekend uh thomas party goes down with an injury pretty key very you know very important but there is other players that can come in. It's it's an eleven person game. Like the effect of that is not as big on a let's just say an example from last year, which was a, a UFC bet that I placed. It was Dillashaw versus Sterling, and Dillashaw had a had a um, had a shoulder injury coming into the fight, and you know. Like that is way more important than one player for Arsenal not being able to play, who ends up getting replaced anyway. Yeah, sure, he's a key piece, but um, and and it was it was just bewildering to me because I uh, he was at two point five, and just about every person I talked to thought that it should be basically a fifty fifty fight. If not, uh, would have Dillashaw as favourite, um, and you know, comes into the fight and dislocates his shoulder within 30 seconds. And you just the whole time you're like, why is this odds not coming in? Like, it's just so bizarre. Like, in terms of my normal process, like, you know, I would think that if all these people that I respect are all backing Dillashaw, that, um, yeah, that the, the odds are going to come in eventually and they never came in. And and that was probably why is that someone someone out there knew that he had a dislocate or had a, had an issue with his shoulder, and um, Sterling's true odds should have probably been like a dollar oh five, <laughs> and here's me just lumping onto a two dollar fifty on the other shot, uh, on the other side. Sorry. So, um, yeah, just another example of even if even if you have like ticked off every box and you're like I still can't figure out why this guy's not favoured or you know, why he's not shorter than what he is, um, that there's also this thing called inside news. Uh, like you don't know these people. You don't know like, you know, there are people that get team news on, on, on Premier League teams 15 minutes before, like, you know, these kinds of things. So you don't, you don't really, you don't know everything. You know to a certain extent, obviously, but like you don't actually know everything all the time. So... Another example why people that frustrate me when, you know, they say, you know, bet max or, or bet more than 2% of your bankroll on something, bet the house on something like you do not know. You do, I can give you, I could, I would love to just one day write out all the examples of why you should never bet the house on something or why you should never bet more than 2% of your bankroll on something. I could give, I could give you a million reasons why of like, a guy could come in and snap his leg in five seconds and, you know, it's like, <laughs> so, yeah, these are kind of the reasonings why uh, 
yeah, I guess, yeah, overall, I guess I, we've given a few examples there of why people should, uh, yeah, or at least ways that people can try and prove themselves wrong and, and embed open-mindedness into their handicapping. Handicapping. Um, last one, mate, teamwork. And I think this probably is, uh, I, I think this is my, I think the biggest takeaway I got from this book. And uh, I guess ways that people can improve their handicapping because I think it encompasses almost like everything we've talked about already. Like if you're working in a team, you are almost forced to uh, see the other side of the argument. You're, you know, you're forced to, uh, I guess, be open-minded because you are, you know, hearing various opinions from various different people. Um, as long as it's, you know, a good team, a respectable team of people that actually, uh, you know, have valuable opinions on whatever sport you're trying to handicap. Um, so I think, yeah, example from the book is that they said after one year, uh, that, so they basically had certain people were working in teams and certain people were just working individually. And they sh it showed that after one year of the, of the project, results showed that teams of forecasters uh, outperformed individuals by 23% on average. So it's quite a big margin. And then for the second year, uh, so, sorry, so, so for that first year, those teams were just randomly selected, just got a bunch of people together, whether they're good forecasters or not, put them together and they outperformed individuals by 23%. And then the second year, they got super forecasters together. So the best of the best from the first year, they got them all together and created super teams, I guess you could um, you could call them uh, and put them in a group together. So the best of the best. And then they, uh, they uh, outperformed, sorry, yeah, they improved exactly by 50% or more on their individual scores on the year, on the year before. So basically showing that you put a group of people together, they'll outperform an individual. But if you put a very, very good group together, the best of the best, they outperform themselves as individuals by 50%. So kind of shows that the value of, of working in a team environment. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think this part of the book I, I did find interesting, but also had lots of kind of questions about, I think, uh, in practice, how you apply this. Because I think, uh, um, you know, on the, on the surface, it's, you know, to, to have a team of people working together, it makes a lot of sense, like, in, you know, so many domains that you're going to kind of improve results. But I think it's important to... Um, to think about the characteristics of that team. So, you know, do you, do you want, I mean, you know, obviously like on the podcast, you've had lots of sort of betting duos and partnerships, um, you know, who've come on and, and, you know, they've kind of shared how one person brings something to the table, the other, you know, brings different things. I think that's quite important as well that you kind of, you, you want it because if you're kind of doing the same thing, thinking the same way, um, constantly coming to a consensus, um then actually it's not really adding that much value but then if you have you know occasional kind of dissenting opinions sort of um, healthy constructive sort of disagreements on things i think it's actually very good because you're kind of again having to kind of justify your position so you can have one person basically telling you you know what picking holes in um you know your you know let's say potential bets your angles thinking of things you haven't thought of or again it's kind of to approaching things in a very different way 
And I think that's quite useful to kind of combine that together. Um, and, and again, it's a kind of division of labor as well. It's, it's, it's hard, you know, if it's just kind of one person to keep track of all that information. So even in the Good Judgment Project, you know, like the what they found, I think, earlier was the news junkies. And again, like, you know, let's say people who were regularly checking, um, you know, for, for updates on like world events and, you know, some of their predictions that they were they were looking at, you know, were generally, again, kind of performing better. So if there's a team of you who are able to kind of look at different strands of information and data um, and bring that all together, then, you know, that's, that's again, you know, like a, a huge strength, uh, a massive strength to have. Um, I think they mentioned as well, didn't they, that they had teams where they added, let's say, they kind of put one super forecaster in there into the mix. So it was kind of like a team of, you know, again, randoms, um, but they kind of put one person in there as a super forecaster. And even that kind of significantly improved, um, you know, the accuracy of, of, of predictions. Mm. Um, but they also kind of mentioned, I think, sort of some limitations of that that um, study. I think some of it was done, let's say, you know, remotely. I think that was kind of um, more, I suppose, more more challenging in terms of having everyone, let's say, physically together in the same room. Um, again, kind of, you know, just kind of bouncing ideas off each other in real time, you know, can often lead to lots of kind of eureka moments. So that was quite um, quite useful as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely. I think like, you know, obviously with yourself, like you, um, you know, with your UFC, you know, you have people you talk to about it, you share ideas with, you kind of bounce. It's just kind of doing it purely by yourself. Um, you know, I think anything in the betting world, people can do it and it is possible, um, but it is harder. And I think there's very few people that I know who at least don't, let's say, consult with other people or kind of, you know, share ideas with every now and again or, um right at the very least they'll have people that they respect or you know with with knowledge on let's say the sports they're betting on and they'll kind of look to see what they're doing so even you know again with myself there'll be particular people tipsters other people and you know in groups i'm in and, and contacts where um you know if i see them doing something similar to what i'm thinking or if i posted something in my group and i've tipped something up um, generally because there's a few groups who are kind of more popular than mine so I try to get ahead of them because the prices just kind of cave in uh, and it's kind of too late for me to do anything about it so what's great is sometimes if I post something and I see that you know two other groups that are quite profitable and they're quite sharp um, and if they've posted the same bet it's, it's a really strong reassurance for me that that's um, you know someone's looked at it in that same way yeah um, so yeah, it's a kind of it's a fine balance, I think, because especially in betting, it's an in, it's an important point to make as well because you see a lot of people, you know, the standard kind of thing that people say is like, well, if you have an edge, why are you going to give away your edge? Why are you going to sort of tell anyone about it? And it's like <laughs> every professional sports better should just live in a cave and like just not speak to anyone, not share anything. Um, I don't think you can really operate like that, you know, like, um, with the way things are now um or you're basically ha you're handicapping yourself by you know limiting you know what, what you can you can do i mean you know, there's you might not have to share everything um but you know to have a kind of team where you can bounce those ideas off i think is, is really important really valuable so yeah a lot of people listening to this here maybe they're starting this journey out on their own but you know if you're listening to something like this you know obviously you're a uh uh 
a gambler of you know of, of good taste um and you know the, the, you know podcasts like this or you know read, reading books like super forecasting improving your knowledge um and then asking questions to people you know about that and you can kind of build sort of partnerships of sorts just through that the amount of contacts kind of um you know, let's say i've made through this i mean it's not as big as your black book of contacts but um you you, you find you know, sometimes you can kind of unexpected places where you you have conversations with someone and actually you you have a kind of partnership of sorts you share information about different things they'll give you kind of an idea on a strategy or they'll have skills that you don't have um you know especially for me like there's lots of people who are kind of very numerate um i've got kind of excel and coding skills and kind of can put the ideas i have in my head into practice or they'll have little angles that they'll share with me because i've shared things with them so it's yeah. kind of a, a two-way process as well no, really well said, mate. I think, like the the, it it I, I say this all the time on the podcast, but potentially that like networking, it once you get to a certain level is I think maybe the most important part of sports betting because there's there's so many different elements to it. There's what we just talked about with um, getting the opinions of someone who's betting the same sport or league or whatever. Uh, and then factoring that into your your odds or handicapping, and then there's like you know getting accounts, uh, getting information, all this stuff. Like if you can, <laughs> it it must it must be like quite daunting for someone who's maybe just starting out today or recently in their sports betting because you essentially start with with nothing. Like there's no, it's pretty rare that you're. You know, I don't know any of my friends that are sharp sports bettors. I don't have any. I've got the complete opposite. So, like, when you're starting, you're normally starting from scratch with no one to, no one sharp to bounce ideas off. So it is quite daunting. But I think you you outlined some some great methods there. Like, get involved in a. You know, there's so many like Slack channels, Discords, uh, Telegram groups. Um, it's amazing how like. Uh, so many people are, are really keen on because it's a it's a pretty isolating you know job it's amazing how many people want to want to talk and and share their ideas on something so that's a good way to start you know get involved on on twitter there's obviously going to be a lot of nonsense a lot of noise out there but you can if if you put in the time you'll be able to sift through that noise and really um yeah i, I guess get a hold of the people that are that are sharp and and you can, you know, maybe start up a little private group of your own of just getting a couple of the guys that you really found were interesting or whatever. And, and it just starts from there. And I think you just mentioned it there. Like I think most sports betters, professional ones, they're isolated. And I think they're, they're, they're a lot of the time they're happy to reply to DMs, even though you might see someone with like, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 followers on Twitter, like, oh, this guy's famous. He's never going to reply to my messages, that kind of stuff. Like, I think you'll be surprised by by the, the people out there that are willing to help because they were at the exact same stage at one time in their life when it came to sports betting. And, um, yeah, you just never know. It's, it's, worth, it's worth a punt, I think, to try and build these connections and, and just keep learning. Stay. Uh, I think uh, more the more humble you can stay, and uh, not think of yourself as you know a genius on a certain sport or league. 
think that your edge is so good that you can't talk to people about it or share it not maybe not share it but like um yeah i i think you're missing out in so many different ways whether that be getting accounts different opinions staying sane from being isolated like there's so many different benefits from from uh from working with other people or just having like a little chat on the side so um yeah good stuff mate anything else you want to talk about that or should we move on uh no, no yeah i think we covered it quite nicely yeah is there anything um i've kind of gone through mostly most of my points the only other thing i have written down is just practice and repetition because it's just like you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to embed all these things into your handicapping straight away like you need to practice it and and, and can, it's like anything in life so i think that's kind of a boring topic to talk about but um yeah is there anything from the book that you wanted to to talk about before we uh before we call it a day uh yeah there's a, there a couple of things i'll try and be sort of brief but there was one lovely analogy from from the book about the fox and the hedgehog and basically you kind know of what kind of thinker um um you want to be a kind of um if anyone's reading sort of the the daniel uh, the daniel kahneman book you know the art of thinking uh fast and slow um the it's you have kind of two personality archetypes so um if you imagine a fox and a hedgehog and basically that kind of how they are um so a hedgehog is quite entrenched in their thinking um resistant to kind of change and in an environment they kind of they kind of curl up on a ball don't they so they, they, <laughs> no one attacks them and then the fox i mean it's like foxes around me you know like west london they're kind of they're agile they're adept they can kind of live anywhere you know they're living out here in like the suburbs um you know feeding off scraps and quite kind of um um what's the word um you know they're good problem solvers they can kind of like adapt to different environments but they're also again because they incorporate change quite well so you kind of have to consider yourself you know are you one of those two we kind of talked about it already but i just thought it was a really yeah. nice visual analogy of like yeah i like you want to be um the other thing was about fermi thinking um uh, you know again from a kind of a I think it was, I believe it was an Italian thinker, basically how you look at problems. So breaking down your problem from a global to a granular level and also looking at things from the outside rather than the inside. Um, so kind of, you know, to, to maybe explain that a bit further. Um, again, so you, I think a really good point that was made in the book was about what a lot of people do is they'll look at a problem and try to directly answer that question. Are Arsenal going to win the Premier League? Um, but what you really should do is kind of say, look at the problems the outside, you know, right, you know, and look at right what's going to stop them winning the league. What potential roadblocks are there going to be? What what kind of hurdles are there going to be ahead of them? And again, it, it's kind of not necessarily dependent just on them. You know, what's going on with the other teams they're going to play? So rather than just focus on, okay, are Arsenal going to do this? Is Gabriel Jesus going to score lots of goals? Or is Zinchenko going to get lots of man-of-the-match performances? That That is part of the thinking. But really, you know, you, you to 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 get an accurate read on what's going to happen, you need to look outside of um, of that box, if that makes sense. So, yeah, those are a couple of, like, sort of quite interesting points uh, um, made here um one one other thing i wanted to sort of just say again was about risk aversion it was kind of mentioned in the book as well um you know essentially kind of playing it safe 
I think this really relates to sports betting kind of stuck in my head, especially at the moment. Um, because, you know, there's again, let's say, uh, you know, Tipster has been kind of promoting their service at the moment and they do well, they're very knowledgeable. Um, and But generally, you know, what they're sort of tipping up are very kind of lo- short odd selections on horses, so, but still horses that are around kind of evens, which is a very different approach to what I take with mine. Um, but it, it it's quite a popular option with punters and um let's say sort of something like i do my group is maybe uh it it, it works you know I'm, let's say i'm 150 points up since may uh but at the same time it because of the volume it doesn't suit everyone because of the big odds people don't like it people like uh low risk um people like you know a steady high strike rate but my belief is that you know you're 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 not actually going to make as much profit that way, and you need to mentally attune yourself to um you know take more calculated risk. I think you know we, I'm sure you know, this has been kind of discussed many times in the podcast already, but it's really important in relation to this book. Again, the forecasters who weren't afraid to again kind of assign a prediction on something that may perhaps was unlikely because i think the way they scored the good ju- judgment project was kind of there was on a graded scale wasn't it so if you were like obviously if you were completely correct then you would get you know certain score if some aspects of what you predicted yeah. had happened you'd get you know some points if you were like totally way off um you know you'd get a kind of negative score but that also kind of it's important to think you know how, how people were kind of doing this and maybe the super forecasters are also not not gaming the system but kind of again the, the, because the project was about making lots of predictions rather than you know individually getting each one right so basically yeah and it's very much like high volume um plus ev betting that way you, you are looking at you know, lots and lots of different events and you're going to get some wrong. You might get 10 in a row wrong, but if you're doing a thousand of them Mm. and your process is sound, then again, you're going to get a good score overall. And I think that's where maybe some of the, maybe the the non-super forecasters, um, you know, that say weren't weren't taking that risk in their thinking. Um, I think that's really, really important to me anyway. Obviously, there's different ranges. You know, some people will just never want to bet at high odds and that's fine. You know, it's just, it doesn't suit your profile. But at the same time, um, you do have to open yourself up to at least, you know, taking some chances. Um, because in my opinion, that's where, especially in the betting market, um, especially on things like horses and golf, you know, that's where you tend to find more value further down the market. Um the markets are kind of front loaded towards favorites in, in a lot of um, sports. So um, I think trying to adjust your thinking in, in that sense is, is quite mm. useful. And it's kind of evidence in the book, you know, there's examples of it as well. Yeah, no, it's well said, mate. I think uh, there's a, there's a reason why in certain sports, like you mentioned, golf and, and horse racing, the, the ROI is not even if you're sharp is like, if you compare the sharpest, uh soccer better or epl i mean epl is kind of a shit example because it's like literally the most efficient market in the world but let's just say you're a sharp uh australian football uh you know australian soccer league better let's let's compare the sharpest on that league in terms of like uh 
1x2 Asian handicap over under markets, maybe not prop markets because then it gets a bit murky, but compare that to like a, an each way better on, on the horses or, or, the, or the golf, the sharpest of both worlds, the ROI is really not comparable. Like it's, it's, there's, there's no, there, there's no debate as to who's going to make more money in the long term. Maybe, I mean, maybe because there's more volume on the soccer or whatever that maybe, 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 but probably not. Like if you just compare like bet for bet, the ROI is just, it's, it's not comparable in terms of what you can do. But I mean, it's, it's a beautiful thing, mate. That's why we can continue to, to make more money. I'd rather people, you know, keep betting these other, you know, leagues where the ROI is much shorter just because they're going to, I guess, get more, let less variance in their betting. Uh, but I think, yeah, like you said, it's a thing that sports better should all, all think about. Do you, do you, but, but, but you know, most sports betters think about tomorrow. They think about today. Mm-hmm. They think about this week. They don't think about six months a month, a year in advance. Um, and I hope most sports bettors continue to think that way because it, it helps us out. Otherwise, there'll be there'll be nothing left in the horse racing golf market. <laughs> yeah, no, because, I, I mean, I get, I get this question. I get asked, I mean, I've been asked a few times, you know, sort of what's my, like, what, what you know, what can, you know, from, from members or people thinking about, you know, joining my service, you know, what, what's your kind of monthly target you know like what's your kind of monthly profit target what's your every profit and i say it's kind of i can tell you what it has been but it's going to be meaningless to tell you what this month is going to be or what next month is going to be i don't look at things that way um but i think that's a difficult concept for let's say a lot of people who are aspiring to do it um because you can't first of all you create a rod for your own back and a kind of pressure to hit a target that's kind of arbitrary um and then you know the other thing is if you're looking at things week to week, month to month, you again, it, it, I, I would look at it at an, an annual level. How have I done over the past year? And, and you know, maybe that's kind of partly slightly laziness in terms of sort of constantly tracking everything all the time. But also, I think it's uh, it helps your mental process um, to, you know, to, to again, kind of, at least for me, just to, to, to kind of focus on the bets themselves and follow the process and just think, you know, yeah. is this value? Is this not everything we've talked about today, like about um, trying to prove yourself wrong, talk yourself out of a bet, but if you're still confident of your selection, you know, to still go for it. And then the results, the profits kind of take care of themselves. If you've got the kind of the right process in place. Yeah. Love it, mate. I think we've, uh, we've covered quite a lot today, mate. I think uh, if you are someone looking to, start handicapping a sport or you know originating or in any in any capacity coming up with your own odds on a game you know modeling you know whatever method you want to use i think there's something in this for for all those kind of people to to take away and i guess our, probably our biggest recommendation would probably be to read the book i think uh, yeah oh he's got it there we go got it stuff, mate um so yeah i i would uh, highly recommend to read the book or you can just listen to this and take out what we thought were the the most relatable things to to sports betting um but yeah anything else mate or should we call it no i thought it would be just really good uh if anyone you know has listened to this could actually sort of put a comment in if you've read the book uh yeah. 
what you think about it. If there's other takeaways we haven't talked about, which I'm, I mean, it, it's one of those books where, uh, you know, uh, let's say I've, I've, I've read it sort of not cover to cover, but kind of in different sections a couple of times. I think it's something I'm going to go back to. I think that um, you get books like this sometimes where you you can't really take in everything it's kind of trying to say on first read it's not a hard book to read necessarily i think it's quite sort of no. you know for the kind of topic it is it's, it's you know it's not that dry there's some good examples there's some interesting things um but the kind of messages it's kind of telling you i think that it's quite dense to take away from just one reading so you might have to kind of go back a few times have a look at different chapters and definitely like Alex has said, you know, what I do as well with books like this is just, again, get a highlighter, make some notes, you know, just highlight some interesting passages, really kind of read it. Um, in that sense to see what kind of stands out for you. Um, cause I'm sure other people who comment, you know, when watching this will have, um, um, you know, different takes on it or interesting things that we haven't covered today for sure. Yeah, no, I love it, mate. Uh, you can find Neil on Twitter at my better life and myself, Alex at Alex Vella underscore mate. Anything exciting coming at the moment? How's the, the groups going? Well, uh, maybe you want to do a little promo for the for the group here on where people can uh, get involved. Uh, yeah, sure. So um, yeah, so I have um, a tipping group. Um, so we cover um, horse racing, football, and golf. Um, so it's kind of fairly busy, fairly active, nice little community we have there. Um, and there may be plans afoot to kind of separate those out. So if you kind of only interested in football or golf or horse racing, then yeah, um, maybe don't have time to do all three. Um, that could be an option coming up very soon. So you can, uh, find me on Twitter or on Telegram. Um, you know, it's the same, my, my, my better life. Um, you know, send me a message if it's something you might be interested in. And, um, yeah. Love that, mate. Little teaser, renovations in the future. Absolutely. It's adapting, adapting. I like it, mate. Keeping that open mind. It's actually a fox, not a hedgehog. <laughs> That's what we can call the pod, the podcast. Be a, hog, <laughs> be a fox. <laughs> All right. Good stuff, mate. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, if this is your first time on the podcast, do a rate and review. It would be superb. Give us a give us a comment on YouTube and do all that good stuff. Like, subscribe. Um, and if you are looking to implement some of the strategies we talked about today on the podcast, uh, more so the value betting ones, uh, start a free week trial of Trade Mate Sports. Mate, it's been great to catch up once again, and I'm sure really we'll uh, we'll be we'll be back on soon, mate, with something else Definitely. that we want to talk Any about suggestions now? for the next book if you know to um to make some reads it's a good motivation for us as well so any any ideas on the next book well we call it a review but you know a kind of book summary uh, i did start reading that um thinking fast and slow book recently oh. um it's pretty tough though it's very uh it's not the yeah. easiest <laughs> it's not it's very tough mate so that's going to probably take me about another year i reckon I'm, I'm i've started i've already started skipping through certain sections but uh so we'll see how much we can we can get out of that one but yeah maybe one on that sometime soon <laughs> good stuff yeah we can do like the uh, the crib notes <laughs> yeah exactly exactly all right see you guys cheers